Amen, amen. It's so good to be with you, Eastview family. Maybe this, uh, maybe this uh, culture we live in is kind of a metaphor for the weather that we've seen lately. It's gray and it's cold, but when you come in from the gray, cold world into this place, our hearts are warm with the love of Jesus and worshiping Him and being together. So good to be with you all, especially those of you watching us online. God bless you all. Thank you guys for joining us uh, as the best way to get uh, part of this fellowship. I want to say hi to Jesse in Greenville and Sharon in Hammond, Indiana, and Steve and Sally in New Orleans. Man, y'all over the place today. K-Mac in Washington State, John in Tyler, Texas, and Kathy in Ruskin, Florida. God bless you all, everybody watching. I want to send a special shout out uh, to Linda Fall, who sent me a very sweet email this week. She's been ill for the last couple of years, all during COVID, not been able to be here. She's one of the original members. Linda, we love you. We're praying for you. Get well soon. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. Hey, guys, I want to share something really exciting. You're going to see some, some, uh, a video later in the service about all the stuff that God's doing throughout our partnerships throughout the world. Really excited to share that with you. But I, I had the opportunity to talk to Ajay Law uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he, he shared, this is how the church is doing worldwide. Okay, I just got to share this with you because it's really, really exciting stuff. Uh, they are now, because of COVID, they started a Hindi um, online worship service. The first week they had 300. Now, two years later, they are in 87 countries and over 5 million viewers every week. It's amazing stuff. They did a, actually a Christmas program that they were allowed to do by the government, which was rare, and they had 40 million viewers on a television show about the love of Jesus Christ being born in the world. <laughs> Guys, I'm telling you, God's church is alive and well and moving. It's moving in us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. One of the things that is a part of the Christian walk is prayer. Now, I want to start off with a question today. Have you ever been in a place um, where you're falling asleep, but you're not supposed to be falling asleep? Have you ever done that? Has anybody ever fallen asleep in class? This good place to confess it, maybe high school, maybe college, university, whatever. I did. We had seven o'clock in the morning classes at Johnson Bible College. I actually have theology notes that trail off because I fell asleep. And it's always good to hear that your uh, pastor fell asleep during theology, right? But that's true. I fell asleep in college. Have you ever fallen asleep? Anybody, this is even more dangerous. Anybody ever fallen asleep while they're driving? Oh, yeah. Oh, but that means you probably have. It's a bad thing to wake up when you're behind the wheel, right? And uh, some of us have experienced that. You shouldn't fall asleep while you're driving. You ever fall asleep in a movie theater? Watching a movie? I mean, it's really unfair now because you get those recliner seats and you're, I mean, you're in a buttered popcorn coma. It's like boring movie. Good night. So easy. So easy now. How about, uh, have you ever fallen asleep in a meeting? Those of you who are in jobs where you have to be in a meeting, a boring old meeting. I was several years ago, one of my colleagues, we were in a meeting and it was late at night. We've been planning, writing stuff on the wall all day on post-it notes and blah, blah, blah strategy. And I look over and he's just like, I'm like, hey, this meeting's over, y'all. Let's go. It's time to go to bed. Have you ever fallen asleep during church? <laughs> the most positive answer I got from all those questions, sure have. In fact, if you'd be quiet, I could get a little rest right now, right? I, I've seen people nod off during my uh, sermons, and man, it is super encouraging. Nothing encourages a preacher like, I've actually got people confess to me before, I fell asleep during your sermon. I want to explain, I, I, I'm taking this new drug that causes drowsiness, and da, da, da. I'm like, or I'm just boring. But that people do confess sometimes. I've seen people um, falling asleep uh, in, uh, in church. W my worst sleeping moment when I shouldn't have been sleeping was in Istanbul, Turkey. 
And I was over there with a bunch of missionaries, and uh, because of their witness, the church was under some kind of persecution. And so we were gathered in a in an, uh, kind of an upper room, third story room. It's kind of hot. I'm jet lagged. These people are talking about what they're going to do when they're thrown into jail for talking about Jesus, which many of them had. And I'm in the back going, it was the worst moment in my life. Have you ever fallen asleep when you are not supposed to sleep? Well, that's what we get when we come to Mark chapter 14. The question is, have you ever fallen asleep on prayer? Have you ever fallen asleep when you should be praying? And that's what we're going to find in this, in this study today in our time in the Word of God. In Mark 14, 32, Jesus needs prayer, and Jesus is praying. The disciples, his followers, are sleeping. They fall asleep during prayer. Let's read this story together, and let's ask the Lord um, to speak to us today in a powerful way. Here's the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Mark 14, 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's ask the Lord if he's got a word for us today from his holy word. God, I believe that you have spoken. You've spoken since you said, let there be light, and you're speaking today by your spirit, through your word, by the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, the testimony of our singing today, and the re remembering of your body and blood. God, would you speak to us now? We need a message. We need to hear from you. Make it clear to every person, God, would you preach thousands of sermons in ways that I cannot even imagine, but I know you can do it. Lord, um, confess that often we as your disciples still find ourselves sleeping when we should be praying. So let this be an encouragement for us today. And uh, I just pray that you would teach us. And there's somebody outside of Jesus that I pray today they will be drawn to your son. And as I lift him up, that you would draw them into him. God, all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in this series. I hope you've figured it out by now. We've been in it since the beginning of the year called uh, Failing Fearlessly because we're looking at some of the failures of, of the Christ followers and how they fail and how you can do that fearlessly because of the blood of Jesus Christ. As Tyler was just saying, you can come back. It's not the end when you fail when it comes to Christianity. So today's failure is sleeping when you should be praying. We'll get to that in just a moment. I want to show you, give you some context for where this story takes place. I've got, a, I've got this really cool map of Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem in the time of Jesus Christ. And uh, maybe you don't know this, but just this right here is King David's um, Jerusalem. It's really small, it's about 15 acres, right? But somewhere up in here, these are, the, these are where the rich people live, the same today as back then, the best views, the best houses, the biggest houses. We don't know where they, ha where they had their last supper, but somewhere in here, 
Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And he goes down here. They come outside into the Kidron Valley. And again, we're going down probably 100 or 150 feet, right? Down in this valley, around, up around this corner. And here's the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where it takes place. This is where this story happens, where these guys are supposed to be praying, but they're actually sleeping. I hope that makes sense to you. This is a view of the Kidron Valley looking down uh, south uh, past the wall of Jerusalem on the right. So you can see kind of the rise, and you really, it really dips off big time right here. So you can just see this valley. To your left is the Mount of Olives. No olive trees there anymore. You know why? Because everybody believes, Muslims, Jews, Christians believe, uh, some believe that Jesus is coming back on the eastern side of Jerusalem. And so that's covered with graves now. That's just all tombstones. But kind of where we're standing now, to my left, um, is this place called Gethsemane. And there's still some olive trees. Are these the olive trees that Jesus prayed under? Probably not, although they say that these can be a thousand years old and more. So it's here that these things, that this, this scene that we're looking at takes place. It's nighttime, it's dark, and Jesus is praying. But here's what I want to say before I get into this prayer sermon. I'm not here to lecture you guys. I'm not here to say, hey, you guys should pray more, and if you don't, wake up, stop sleeping. Because I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I think Jesus is inviting us in to something that we need when we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's what Jesus acknowledges, and I will just start with this. It's in your notes if you want to follow along. It's hard for Christ followers to watch and pray. It's hard. He even says to Peter and James and John, the flesh is weak. And that's why it makes it hard to pray sometimes. We can all give testimony to that. There are times when you know you should pray, but you don't because the flesh is weak. And there are different reasons. I've got some there for you in, in, your, um, in your text, and some of them just come from Jesus, right? We sometimes deal with great distress and trouble. We can't watch and pray because we're dealing with distress and trouble. Jesus is. Did you notice that? Did you just skip over that? Look what it says about Jesus. Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Up to this point, he's instituted the Lord's Supper. He's telling the guys, you're all going to be scattered. He's predicting that he's going to be killed. And then when he gets close to this garden, he begins to be greatly distressed and troubled. Let's look at those words. One word, the distress word, literally means to be terrified. The other word that, that has to do with, um, with him being troubled is in the Greek language one of three words that talk about depression, and it's the strongest word. I know this sounds weird to you. In fact, it almost, I'm, I'm afraid to say it. Jesus was scared. Jesus was depressed. You're going, now stop it. We just sang about Jesus. He's none of those things. He's God. That's right. He is fully God in the flesh. But you need to hear this today. And maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is winsome to you. Jesus Christ is fully human. And, and, and think of what he's getting ready to, to face in this time. He is getting ready to face a Roman beating that killed one out of, uh, only one out of ten men would survive. He's getting ready to be locked up and beaten and whipped and mocked and slapped. And he's going to be eventually killed on a cross, a very, very inhumane, easy for me to say, way of dying. Guys, he knows this is coming. And you can say whatever you want about Jesus being God, which he is fully God, but he is also in the flesh, and he is going, I'm scared, and this is depressing. 
How, how much of this was his, how much does this affect his emotion and his mental well-being? Luke, or John twenty two forty four records that he's in such mental anguish, he sweats drops of blood. Now, you might go, well, that's just, you know, mythology. That's not true. It's actually a scientific reality. There's actually a reality. You become so stressed and so overwhelmed with sorrow and depression that your capillaries around your, uh, yeah, the um, sweat glands, I'm so good at biology, fell asleep in that class too. But, but they actually will burst and they will mix with the blood. And you can actually be so stressed out that you can sweat blood. How many of you ever had a stress headache? Been so stressed you have a headache? Well, it's kind of the next step from that. Jesus was under an incredible amount of stress. Why? Because look at this word. I want to point this word out. It's in your scripture a couple times. The hour has come. Look, this is what he's praying about in verse 35. I want this hour to pass from me. And look what he says in verse 41. The hour has come. The hour is the way that Jesus has described what he's getting ready to do for the, for the um, salvation of the world. The hour is the right time, described all the way through John six times. The hour is not yet. The hour is not yet. The hour is upon us. The hour has come. Jesus is saying, I know there's going to be this time when I'm going to be killed for the sins of the world. And as this hour approaches, it's humanly depressing. It brings mental and emotional stress. Now, what I love about this story, and I hope you capture it, is that Jesus fully understands us. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. But that doesn't mean he didn't understand emotional stress and strain. In fact, there couldn't be anything more culturally relevant than a story about Jesus dealing with this idea of distress and, and being troubled. A recent Boston University study uh, talking about depression in adults in America. Before the pandemic, just over two years ago, 8.5% of Americans said that they were dealing with some form of depression. Right? Three months into the pandemic, 27.8% of Americans polled would say, I'm dealing with depression. And now, after two years of this, nearly one in three adults, 32.8% of people would say they have some kind of depression that they're dealing with. You know what that means? It means there's people around us who are depressed. You know what that means? Sometimes even followers of Jesus Christ deal with depression and mental anguish. So I just, this is a, a quick commercial okay? But pay attention to the people around you. Pay attention to your family. Pay attention to your neighbor, your fellow students, because they might be going through something that they're not going to share with you. And if you're here today and you're dealing with some sort of emotional stress and strain, call a Christian friend. Let them carry this burden with you. Maybe you need to go to a Christian counselor and help you through. There's nothing wrong. Jesus was in this place. He understands where you're at. And some of you are not facing, most of us are not facing a cross. We're not facing the, the pain that Jesus was going to go through. But we've got pain. We've got emotional pain. Maybe we're lonely. Maybe our family's a mess. Maybe our finances are a mess. Maybe we don't know who we are or why we're here. Maybe we've been abandoned. Maybe we've been abused. I don't know why. But listen, for just a moment, let's go to the garden with Jesus and go, yeah, life can be depressing sometimes. But that's not it. Prayer is hard when you are going through 
distress and trouble, it's also hard when you're not in the right place spiritually. Look in verse 34. Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful. My soul. Jesus experienced a sorrow of the soul because of what was coming. And this is the spiritual side. The, the word for soul, suke, in the Greek language, is where we get psyche from. And, and so we're talking about the, the breath of life that is the spiritual side of humanity. And Jesus is going, my soul, my God breath in me is sad, even to the point of death. You see what he says there? I, I could just die. I'm so sad about this. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why is Jesus in the spiritual sense, because he is fully God, why is he so depressed? Why is he so messed up emotionally and spiritually? Well, it's because of this other word. Look at it in verse 36, this cup. God, would you take this cup from me? Now, here's what's really cool. You guys can do this extra. This is extra homework. If you do it, extra credit when you get to heaven. I'm just kidding. You don't get extra credit. But you'll, be, you'll, you'll learn something. If you go do a search, a biblical search, concordant search for the word cup, most of the references in the Bible are about two things. Number one, it's about the cup of Jesus' blood that we just celebrated, communion. It's all through the New Testament, the cup, the cup, the blood of the covenant, the cup of my blood. It's over and over again. The other cup in the Bible is the cup of the wrath of God. You find it in Jeremiah. You find it in Isaiah. You find it all through Revelation because here's the picture of what's going to happen. The wrath of God is going to be drunk by all sinful people and all the sins of the world in judgment. And Jesus knows that when he's on the cross, He's going to drink every drop of every sin and every evil that's ever been, and it's going to lead to his separation from God. So when Jesus says, let this cup pass from me, he's not just talking about, I'm afraid to die. He's talking about, I'm going to feel the weight and taste the bitterness of every sin that's ever been committed. Guys, some of us in here can relate to this sadness of the soul. Because sin is bitter and sin is deadly. And the consequences of sin are not awesome. I tell people all the time, it's like, you can keep sinning if you want to, but I've never seen anybody sin and sin and sin, and it turns out great. It's going to be painful, and some of us are here as the result of other people's sins or our sins or past sins or a sin-filled world, and we're going, man, my soul is messed up. But that's not all that we see here. The reason that it's hard for Christ followers to watch and pray because mentally and emotionally, we're sometimes stressed. Spiritually, we're sometimes you know, messed up in a way that we feel far from God. But there's also this physical reality. We get tired. That's what's going on with the apostles. The apostles are nodding off when Jesus needs them to pray. The Bible teaches us they were emotionally spent as well. Luke twenty-two forty-five says they were sleeping for sorrow. But Jesus says to them specifically, the flesh is weak. Why are they sleeping? It's a real simple answer. They're exhausted. They've had this really weird Passover day where they, they've celebrated Passover, and then Jesus turned it into communion. Then he started talking about he's going to die, and then Judas left. Where is he at? And then he said, you're all going to get scattered, and we'll walk into the garden. And then Jesus starts looking like he's really, really sad. You know what that does to you when you're going through stuff like that, and it's probably well past midnight according to some of these scholars? You're sleepy. So you sit down under, a, under a, 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 an oil, a, a oil, a olive, an oil tree. There's an oil tree, an olive tree, and you nod off. Can you relate? 
to being tired. I think we live in an exhausted culture. And some of it's emotional. A lot of it's physical because we don't know how to manage our, our, um, you know, our lives well and our hours and our days well. And that, makes, that means we're too tired. Some of us are just walking through life on autopilot. We're sleepy. We're sleeping on our marriage. We're sleeping on our finances. We're sleeping on our walk with the Lord. We're sleeping on relationships with other people. You know a sure sign to tell that you are exhausted? All you want to do is surf the internet. You just want to get on your device and, and see as many cat videos as possible because it's brainless. Or you just want to lay on the couch and watch football or whatever. You just want to lay on the couch. You just want to sit there for three or four hours, watch a football game, or you want to binge watch the dumbest show in the history of the world, but everybody says it's cool. So there you are, six hours. And you can tell that you're, when you just disengage your mind like this culture does all the time, you can tell you're just tired. And when you're sleeping like that, you're probably sleeping on some really important things. And here's where we get to the good part of the sermon. All that's the bad part. You might at this point go, the garden? Who wants to go there? Well, we're there. Many of us are there today, emotionally, spiritually, physically. What do we do in the garden? Well, Jesus is inviting us to do something about where we're at emotionally, spiritually, and physically. He's inviting us in. When our flesh is exhausted, when we're too weak to pray, Christ's followers can learn to find strength by watching and praying, and Jesus knows this. Jesus is saying, guys, Inside you, the spirit is willing. You just got to lean into it a little bit. So if you're taking notes down, maybe you're on, online and you've got the notes there at home and, and you're looking at them. If not, you can write these four things in your Bible. By the way, I want, you to, I want to point out who's with him. He said to his disciples, remember that word? The word means learning and following. Learning by following, okay? And so what that means is, what we're trying to do today, we're, I'm not trying to make you feel bad for not praying and sleeping instead of praying. I'm trying to say, let's learn. Let's learn what to do with all this stuff that's going on in our life. When it's time to pray, Jesus gives us the example, and when it's all said and done, the apostles will probably remember. So if you're taking notes today, there are four lessons we can learn from this garden prayer of our Savior. And here's the first one. Fall before the Father. You exhausted? You emotionally spent the day, you spiritually far from God, just fall down. This would, have, this would have really stood out to the apostles because in the first century, the posture for prayer was standing with your arms raised before God and looking up to heaven. When Jesus gets to the garden and he expresses to these guys that he's sorrowful to the point of death, he falls on the ground. In some ways, you've really never prayed until you just fall down. And I would encourage, I would encourage in your most desperate moments, get your face on the ground. There's something about it that says, I can't do this. I'm spent. I can't fix it. It's the absolute submission and brokenness that God's wanting to. Can you sit in a recliner with your hands open for a blessing and pray? Absolutely. But there are times where you just fall before the Father. And I want to get on that second part here because that's what Jesus calls him. He actually uses two words, one Greek, one Aramaic. Abba, Aramaic. Aramaic is the language that the Jewish people spoke in the first century, left over from their Babylonian captivity. Kind of a mixture of Jewish and, and, uh, and Arabic. And then also in the Greek. So he says, Daddy, Daddy, Father, Father, in two different languages. And the reason he does that is because he's appealing to relationship. Guys, when, when the flesh is weak, when we're in despair, we're depressed, we're downhearted, the best thing we can do is fall and acknowledge God. 
That's all we, some of my best prayers are, oh God. Some of my best prayers are, Jesus, Jesus, help me. Those, when we fall on our face, when we get on our knees, and we just simply acknowledge that we have relationship with God. By the way, how do we have relationship with the Father? Through the blood, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am a son. You are sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. And because of that relationship, I can go to him anytime in my desperation, and I can get before him and say, God, I am broken. I can't fix it. Father, Father, help me. Guys, listen, if I could just wave a magic wand over everybody that's learned how to pray throughout the years, I would say, forget all of that. It's mostly just appealing to your dad. That's what it's about. And maybe some of you didn't have a healthy dad relationship growing up. I'm sorry for that. But there is a father who loves you more than life itself. And when you appeal to him, he's listening because you're his child. I love that Jesus, who is the Son of God, God in the flesh, part of the Trinity, just in this moment says, Dad, Dad. But then he also does something that I think is important. We don't just fall before the Father. We express our will. That's what you do. Why am I broken? Why am I fallen before you, Dad? Well, here's how I see it. Let me tell you how I see it. Now, you might be thinking, well, well, Jesus doesn't have a will here. Yes, he does. Look what it says. Not what I will. I'll get to the not part in just a moment. But he has a will. In fact, if he were in your small group, if he came to your small group this week and you do like we do sometimes, anybody have any prayer requests? And you tell a 15-minute story about your aunt and then we pray for 30 seconds, but that's another story. I don't know how your small group is. If Jesus would come to your small group and you say, Jesus, what can we pray for you? If this was in the garden, he would say, I would pray two things, that this hour may pass and this cup may be removed. That's his request. That's what he's asking the Father. That's his will. And guys, listen, asking God to move miraculously is a way of expressing that we believe and trust in God. Look in verse 36. What does Jesus say? Why is Jesus even saying, can you take this cup away? Can this hour pass from me? Here's why. Verse 36, all things are possible for you. At his very basis, prayer is just us admitting, God, you can do anything. You you can fix this marriage. You can can pull me up uh, from this place that I'm in in sin. God, you can change my life. God, you you can heal the past. God, you you can get me a job. God, you can get me a boyfriend or girlfriend. You can do anything. And at its very basis, when whatever we believe God can do, we should ask him for it. If it's not in violation of his word. In fact, I don't know of any prayer that you can pray unless it goes willingly and knowingly against the teaching of God that God looks down and says, I don't like that prayer. Guys, I think that we should approach prayer, I've said this before, like children do when you take them shopping. Like a child walking through or in the cart or walking beside you through Walmart. What, what's, their, what's their natural tendency? Can I have that? I want that. And they get older. Teenagers begin to say, hey, can I have $20? Can I have the car? Can I have this? Can I have that? I need some money for this or that. It's, it's easy as a child to ask for stuff. Why? Because your parents have an endless supply of money. No, they don't. But you don't know that. 
You don't know that. You, you think that they are just made of money. In fact, your parents will sometimes say, do you think I'm made of money? Right? But a child never, a father or a mother never looks at a kid in Walmart begging for candy or a toy or whatever and says, what a, what a really, really bad request you are making right now. It's very, very unchildlike of you. No, you expect it. I really believe that prayer should be more of me saying, God, here's what I think. Here's how I see it. Here's what I want you to do because I know you can do it and I'll let you figure it out because you're the dad. And sometimes dad gives us candy. We call those miracles. He works miraculously in our lives and we go, yes. And then sometimes he goes, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Which leads us to the third thing. If you're writing stuff down, we fall before the father. We express our will. Number three, we trust his will. We trust it. That's where Jesus gets in this time. Jesus says, Father, here's what I want. I want you to take the cup away. I want this hour to pass from me. I don't want to face it physically, but not what I will, what you will. I want your will to be done. I, I, I want your will to be done because I know that your will can be trusted no matter what. And I want to say that to somebody here today. I, I know you're going through painful stuff. I know it's hard. I know you can't see a way. Maybe you're watching at home going, I'm tired of this illness. I'm tired of being away from my family. I'm tired of COVID and all things pandemic. I'm tired. And you're just praying and praying and you're going, man, does Jesus even listen? Is God even listening? Guys, listen, I want to tell you, it can be trusted. The will of God can be trusted no matter how painful and lonely and terrifying the garden is. If God's will is done, ultimately good will come from it. I want you to hear that. If God's will is done in your life, ultimately good will come from it. Just to say this, aren't you glad that God didn't answer Jesus' prayer the way that Jesus asked it? We'd still be lost. You wouldn't be here because Jesus would not have died. Jesus knows that because he's fully God. He's not questioning God at all. But in his humanity, he's going, God, if you could get me out of this painful situation that's coming up, that would be great. And God says, that's not my will. My will is that you're going to die for the, the, for the salvation of all mankind. That's why Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10, thy kingdom come, what? Thy will be done. That's always a good prayer. And it may not feel like it at the time, but God's will is to never give us what he knows will be bad for us, even when we ask for it. And that's illustrated for us in the scripture here. And it's illustrated in this psalm. I want to show you this. This, is, this could be Jesus in the garden. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. At the end of God's will is always good for you. It may take some years. It may take eternity, but at the very end, God's will will be great for you. You can trust it. Fall before the Father. Express your will. Trust his will. And finally, and I love this, repeat until you're ready. Repeat it. I, it, it, it strikes me when I read this again and was preparing and, and praying through this this week. Verse 39, he goes away and he says the same words again. Why does he say the same words? God knows what he thinks and he knows what God thinks he thinks. 
Why am I saying this over and over again? Is Jesus just putting on a show? Is this just kind of a spectacle? He's going, I'm just going to show you guys how to pray. I'm just kind of going through the motions. No, this is sincere. He goes away and he says, okay, God, those guys are sleeping. Can we address the cup and the hour again? Because I'd rather not. And then he goes a third time. Isn't it amazing how we quit on talking with God so quickly? We go with, to him with a request and he doesn't answer it the way or the time that we think he should. And all of a sudden we're done with it. Have you prayed about this? That's the, the famous question that we ask Christians. Yeah, once or twice, honestly. Jesus went again and again and again to the Father. And something happens in this repeating. You repeat until you're ready. The Bible says in Luke twenty two forty three 43, gives this little detail that an angel came and ministered to Jesus. It gave him strength. I don't know how God does spiritual stuff. All I know is if you get on your face before the Father and you cry out to him and you share your will and eventually you say, God, I will, I will submit to your will, but please, can we repeat this again? Can I, can I let you know what I'm thinking again? I promise you that you will find strength, whether an angel's sent or not, by the Holy Spirit living in you, you will find strength to face what's next. Repeat until you're ready. The next time the apostles were waiting for something that they didn't know what it was, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you all stay in Jerusalem. The power from on high comes upon you. You'll receive the, Spirit of the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be my witnesses. Don't do anything. Just go to Jerusalem and wait. You know what they were doing in Acts 1? Praying. Because they didn't know what's coming. They didn't know what to expect. It's like going into the garden and they didn't fully understand everything that was going to happen to Jesus. And that time they slept. But when it came to Jerusalem in the beginning of the church, we find them praying because they've learned as disciples, the more I pray, the more ready I am. And when the Holy Spirit hit on Pentecost, they started preaching because they were ready. Prayer changes things is an old saying among Christians. I've heard it my whole life. I think I've actually seen it on a bumper sticker. Prayer changes things. And I couldn't believe that more today than when I was a little kid. And I, I can't give you a better biblical teaching. It's theologically sound. Prayer changes things. But you know what I'm learning? Prayer changes things, but mostly prayer changes me. That's what prayer's about. It's me Kind of one author I read this week, it's me wrestling with God. It's wrestling to his will. And when I pray like that, when I'm honest, when I'm before him and I'm falling down saying, God, please, he changes me. Do you notice the difference between Jesus when he entered the garden and when he leaves the garden? Something's happened. He, he came into the garden depressed, sorrowful, troubled. And he leaves the garden calmly and quietly, submissively, and boldly walks to the cross and to his betrayer. The apostles, meanwhile, are rubbing the sleep from their eyes, and they are not ready for what's getting ready to hit. And one major difference is that Jesus prayed while they slept. Guys, here's what I can tell you. I, I don't know what hour is to come today or tomorrow. And I don't know what cup you and I, collectively or individually, are going to have to drink. But I know this. If we sleep instead of pray, we will not be ready. So I'll leave you with these words today. Jesus says them. Pray, watch, and pray. 
because the Spirit is willing. Amen.